Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to our hauntingly good episode, all about the ghost with the most, Beetlejuice, and the 1986 movie that made him a household name. So, give us your ear as we examine the many strange parts that make up the foul frightener that became a phenomenon. From that boy born in Burbank, Tim Burton, to its original, darker screenplay, to its kooky cast. We know you'll dig Boys and Ghouls, episode 72. Beetlejuice. 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 You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Dummies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever so talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch is my creation! high pollen count right now i don't know i also i don't usually have airborne allergies but it's been lately i've heard from a lot of people that their allergies have been flaring up so that's why i'm inclined to say that i think that's what this is but because I, I usually have really intense kind of violent allergy attacks that are that peak for a few days and then go away completely and so i'm like well maybe that's this but i'm on allergy medication and and uh, i took day cool a few hours ago it just seems to have no effect right now. <clears throat> just gotta run its course, I guess. Okay, I'm gonna drink a water here and then we'll. Uh... Uh... Cat. Marshall. Beetlejuice. Don't say it again. It's it's like an 80 minute podcast. We're gonna have to say it a few times. Damn it. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Hey everybody, we're covering Beetlejuice. The weirdest movie that shouldn't have gotten made, but it did, thank God. Yes, and it's certainly got a, a foot in horror and horror prestige. It's a movie that appeals to kids. in big ways to kids, and in part, I think, because a lot of it is, I mean, there's some of it's like stop motion, but Beetlejuice himself behaves like a cartoon character. Yeah, even with some cartoon sound effects. Yes. Where to begin? Where to begin? What drew me to this, and then what I, I think I drew you in with, is that this movie, like, it's we grew up with it, so it doesn't seem odd. But if you take a step back, I mean, yeah, it seems odd on, on the surface, but, like, just from, a like, how it ever got made and how these, like, strange parts ever came together, was it through collaboration or was it through, like, one man's vision or... How? How, man? These are things I never thought about until you brought this up and I started researching, which 
is crazy because you're right. It is so freaking strange, but it always just existed to me. Yeah. I never thought about I mean, how weird really it was. Question it. Whereas other really strange things are usually like something established plus a twist. Mm-hmm. And the twist can make it really strange, but it's not too far removed from something that came before and often something that was successful before. Whereas Beetlejuice, I can't really point to much that came before it. Although now that I've researched a bit, you might say that Ghostbusters had kind of brought ghosts. Well, and the idea of busting ghosts, as and, in and getting them ghosts. out of your space. Yeah. Right? And this is just, the, and then, the elevator pitch is, it's the ghosts trying to get the people out of their house. Yeah, that's, that's the it. That's twist. It's yeah. the, okay, Ghostbusters is really popular, so let's do it from the ghost perspective. Which I didn't know, but the... I'm forgetting because you're right. There were a lot of people kind of involved, but it was... Two people at its earliest genesis. But what I remember reading is that Michael McDowell, the novelist... Yes. ...says that he and his writing partner... No, maybe he and his partner partner. I think he and his life partner. Well, his writing partner will come into this story eventually. Yes, but Lawrence Senelik is his... Is that his writing partner? No, that was his partner partner. No, that that was the punch-up guy that came later. Oh my God, we're already lost. At any rate, the point is that Michael McDowell had some neighbors that were very annoying, and that served as some inspiration. Okay. I read that somewhere. I wonder if they were like New York yuppies. Probably. If any chance, maybe a uh, real estate developer and his modern artist second wife. Yeah, we can only guess. But there are little nuggets here and there that sort of serve as like, okay, yeah, we can all relate to the feeling of being around people we cannot stand and wishing we could just get rid of them. Okay. That's the germ of the idea. Because by the the whole Ghostbusters thing is an oversimplification, I think. Of course, yeah. But... Let's just say ghosts had entered the zeitgeist in a way that perhaps they hadn't quite before. Yeah, or or, or something that we knew could be marketable. A franchise rights alone will make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. But I also want to go back with Tim Burton because Tim Burton is a local guy. Yeah, let's talk about it. You brought that up to me years ago and I didn't know that. And And for some reason that felt... You know what I think it is? I think part of it is when you told me that Tim Burton grew up in Burbank, you were like, Burbank, just right, you know, and we're to in, me... Yeah, we're in Burton country. Yes. But to me, I think when you first told me that, I didn't quite have the concept of Burbank as such a kind of normal place. To me, the greater LA area has always just been like, whoa, movie land. But as I've lived in LA for over 10 years now, I have started to understand what parts of town are really truly just suburban and a lot of people just live here and Burbank does seem like such a simultaneously odd and perfect place for him to have grown up because you go like well he's got this incredibly unique vision and he grew up in this incredibly simple suburban home now I mean you've been there right I've been on his block I didn't know which house was his specifically you have to picture as it was then You know, I think a lot of the weirdness might have leaked out of Hollywood and into Burbank since the 60s and 70s. Sure. But at the same time, there was, I'm sure, plenty of surreal touches. Today, I'm just driving home, and there's a Budweiser Clydesdale just by the side of the road. They were doing something. Straight up. (laughs) Like, on the sidewalk. I don't know if they were filming a commercial or what have you. I have to assume they were. It's a normal town full of surreal, like, pockets of surreality. Sure. Which I, I just love. But 
He described Burbank as a visually wonderful, hellish place. <laughs> His father worked for the Burbank Parks and Rec. So that's a real community yes, job. It is. Being involved with like the parks department. Yeah. So that's what's really sewn into the, uh, the town. The cemetery you grew up next to? Like every other cemetery in Los Angeles is the least gothic cemetery. Oh, sure. You could find. But he does say that there was like one like mausoleum with kind of like a weird entrance that he used to hang around. Which, I've been in that cemetery, and I'd like to go back and find the mausoleum or look at different mausoleums and be like, oh, I wonder if it was this one. Is this weird enough? Could be weirder. I think the area, since he's left, has conformed more to his vision. I know it wasn't there when he grew up, but like right next to where he grew up is now an electronics store with a B-movie theme, yeah. which features a lot of the Mars Attacks aliens just as like window dressing yeah. in that place. If you picture this town as being like the town in Edward Scissorhands, we now have a castle at the far end of town. Yes, we do. It's the Universal Studios Hogwarts, but still, <laughs> if you're driving down Olive, yeah. there's a castle on a hill. He did, as a young artist, get hired to do many storefront paintings. Oh, more. I didn't read that. That's yeah. cool. Especially during the holidays. And I'd love to see what like one of his like Christmas or Halloween storefronts looked like. And he won a contest. A picture he'd drawn went on the side of the Burbank trash trucks. <laughs> for I've heard a month, I've also heard a year, but for some length of time. So again, I'm going to go back to Edward Scissorhands for a while this like pale dark haired quiet creative guy is sort of putting his mark all over town right. i don't know if any of these like store windows occurred at the same time as the garbage trucks but i kind of like akin those to the uh hedge sculptures of edward scissorhands that's a romantic view And I know, you know, we're always inclined to attribute an artist's surroundings as like influencing them. So like if they're in a place sure. that like seems ripe for that sort of thing. But I think, you know, maybe the opposite is true um, or the converse is true where if you're growing up in a place that to you seems beautiful and hellish in it's maybe how boring it is in your mind or whatever maybe your mind is just more fertile if you're Tim Burton to sort of like paint what you want to see or paint something more interesting if you're living in that. a blank canvas yeah maybe certainly uh blue skies a lot of the year paint some thunderclouds on that yeah I like beautiful downtown Burbank but then I've seen Transylvania <laughs> I'm Betsy Palmer, and I'm going to liberate the dishwashing commercial from the kitchen. Good evening, and welcome to Seymour's special Halloween edition of Fright Night. Well, I watched a really delightful interview with Tim Burton where he talked about how he liked monster movies growing up and how he didn't understand why people thought that was strange, which I totally relate to <laughs> to this day. He grew up a, a child of television, I believe, and at the time it was a network TV. Hey, Batman and Robin, what are you guys doing? Just routine crime fighting. You like all kinds of horror, don't you? Bad puns. <laughs> Not bad pun. Puns are the 
highest form of literature. If I didn't know it wasn't possible, I'd swear there was a vampire at Collingwood. And to draw some parallels to some other creative people, I was watching an interview with Rob Zombie, and they were talking about his childhood, and they're like, oh, you watch a lot of monster movies? He's like, yeah, but I watched everything on television, and it was all important to me because it was on television. So, like, Johnny Carson was also important to me. This audience would laugh at Dinosaur backing into a meat thermometer. <laughs> Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, John Boy. Have you heard about Charles Nelson Riley? He got a blank while streaking. And if you look at, also from Beetlejuice, Alec Baldwin, he's this, like, intelligent, erudite guy, but he grew up on this, like, great garbage 70s television, and... While he's, you know, politically involved, he's also the host of the new match game because that's his dream job because yeah. he grew up watching Charles Nelson Reilly right. on match game. You don't streak. No, I barely had courage to go to gym class. <laughs> anyway, cold. So he found success through his talents. He went to CalArts. Yep. Was then hired by Disney. Disney Studios is in Burbank. Yes. Through Disney Studios, they had like, like a program with their animators that they would like finance short films. He made Frankenweenie, still while working for Disney in Burbank. On the strength of Frankenweenie, he got hired to direct Pee-wee's Big Adventure, largely at Warner Brothers in the Burbank area. But I do want to take mm. 10 seconds and talk about Vincent that I think came before. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. That was, I think, while he was at CalArts. Yeah, that was early. Yeah, and if you want to talk about Tim Burton, what do you call it when you have a character representing you? Surrogates, sort sure, of? Sure, yeah. Boy, if Vincent from Vincent isn't uh, one of those, just the boy who uh, would rather imagine that he is Vincent Price. You're not Vincent Price, you're Vincent Malloy. You're not tormented or insane, you're just a young boy. And he got Vincent Price to be the narrator. Yeah, if you've never seen Vincent, it's on YouTube, go watch it. It's wonderful. But anyway, I think that came before you mentioned Frankenweenie. No, yeah, Frankenweenie came after. And then, on the strength of that, he got hired for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He's in a rarefied position, one that people from all over the world envy and come to Hollywood for, and he's just down the road, you know? I did Geographically. say in an interview that though it was, because the interviewer said that to him, he's like, you know, it's just right here. And he was like, yeah, but it felt like a world away. He said that when he I'm got glad. the job at Disney, it was a big deal. It felt a million miles away from where he grew up, even though physically it was close. Okay, so he's a motion picture director, but he's probably still going to the same grocery store as, as <laughs> when he was growing up. And his mom his, and dad still live there. Yeah, know, and you have to presume. all his like high school friends are still bombing around town, still just running into them. And yet he's like achieving all the success. Yeah. Pee-wee's Big Adventure was a big hit, but a lot of the movie got credited to Pee-wee Herman because they knew what he was about, but it's kind of like, oh, Tim Burton who? So Beetlejuice is important, I think, because that's when the world learned the Tim Burton look. He is only like the next Martin Scorsese. Meanwhile, we have Michael... What's his last name? Michael McDowell. So he was a prolific horror novelist. He definitely had interests in the macabre. I read that he grew up reading Lovecraft and loved joking about death. He's got a, quite a personal collection of like macabre things through the years. Michael McDowell also 
co-wrote the movie adaptation of Thinner, mm -hmm. just FYI, the Stephen King novel. So Stephen King once called Michael McDowell, horror writer and co-author of Beetlejuice screenplay, Stephen King called him, quote, the finest writer of paperback originals in America today. So this is a real, like, man of letters. Yeah. He also wrote for Tales from the Dark Side, which I think is fun. And his final book, uh, He is Deceased, was completed by Tabitha King, which is the only uh, Michael McDowell book I was able to find in the library. Candles burning. He seemed like a cool guy. Yeah. Let's see, there's, there's a picture in the back. Oh, there he is. He's got a beard. Not how I was picturing oh, wow. him. I was picturing someone more gaunt. I never thought about it. Yeah. His writing partner, Larry, Larry Wilson, was a real Hollywood insider. Started with an interest in writing, but an opportunity to become a studio executive came up. So he went that route, and after a while went back to writing, and um, he and McDowell, I don't know how these two ever got together, but they became writing partners. And together they did an episode of the new Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Cool. Which is where they would take the bumpers with actual Hitchcock, colorize them, and then do like a new version of the story, just something that would fit the bumpers, and present that. You will be entertained by The Jar, a story about some people who found a very strange source of fascination. And the director for there, The Jar, was a young up-and-coming Tim Burton. No way. That's the connection. Holy cow. My son is another Hitchcock. It's about an artist, by the way, who dresses in black. But a lot of artists did at the time. But when you first see Griffin Dunn, just sort of like slinking in the corner while people judge his art, you're like, oh, there's another like Burton character. Sure. Like for himself. You know, Noel's become so adept at dealing with failure after failure. It's almost a shame he has to now learn how to deal with success. <laughs> Well, this is much better. There is a scene in The Jar where the premise is he finds this jar with something in it which just attracts people. And he becomes successful as a result of it. And there's a scene where it's like him, his wife, best friend, their date, an art critic, huh. and like his agent. So it's basically what would later be mirrored in Weird. Beetlejuice at the dinner party. It's both dinner parties. Wow. Full of... Modern art and modern artists. No dancing in the TV episode, though, right? No, but someone does try to kill themselves in the bathroom. I just hope it wasn't yet another of your dreary suicide attempts. So, which brings us up to Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Ah, you said it twice. Just say it once more. Come on. These two guys start shopping their script around. It's not going well, but they get a bite at Geffen. A former student of Larry Wilson's. Isn't this the story about, so she is a young development executive and she marches mm -hmm. into her boss's office and is like. David Geffen. Was it directly to him? Oh, there might've been some stops along the way. Whoever. But she threatens to quit if they don't buy the script. She's like, this is a great script. The original script was way darker. Beetlejuice was like a winged demon. Right. Occasionally a Middle Eastern man. The death of the Maitlands was much more gruesome. Yeah. There was two daughters. Uh-huh. Uh, they got That's combined right. later in, into one daughter. And just some of the, just the really out there stuff. I don't know what, what all changes happened, but um, Burton worked with one or two punch-up guys, script doctors, to come in and uh, make scripts more, like, palatable. Right. And then, on top of that, hired actors who were great at improvising. So now we, we've got this story. Quick overview of, of the movie it eventually became would be that there's like 
The Maitlands. Yeah, they live in Connecticut. Yeah. In a big farmhouse kind of situation. Their names are Adam and Barbara. They love their home. They're very happy. And they get in a car accident. They die. They don't know they're dead at first. And then new people move into their home. They don't like these people. They want to get them out. They can't get them out themselves. They're not good at scaring people. Yeah, so they find out about this bio-exorcist, this kind of demon kind of puck character yeah. who they call upon and he shows up and wreaks havoc. So that's the script it became. So casting, Tim Burton had seen Winona Ryder in the movie Lucas, mm. where she plays like the girl who's in the band with Lucas. She's just kind of the awkward band girl who you can tell likes Lucas. I heard a story somewhere in my research about the design of Lydia, what she should look like, and how whoever it was said they went to a Cure concert. Yeah, that was uh, Larry. That was... One of the original writers. Yeah, and that he looked around him and was like, yeah, this should be... This seems about right. I also heard that. He's in, in a podcast interview. Yeah. If that's true, I'm no longer thinking that it was Burton who made Lydia like an Edward Gorey goth. Rather... Though it was Larry, and maybe that detail, though, might have been Burton's sort of, like, entry point into this movie. Part of his initial enjoyment Uh of the screenplay. I don't think it's just a coincidence that he's this dark, sullen, gothic figure in a non-gothic place. Mm -hmm. But rather that, like, maybe this is what part of what attracted him to the project. Absolutely. Would be Lydia's (laughs) well-financed gloom. Mm -hmm. Some of us are just out there doing what we can if you want to become a goth on a budget. But I always picture that, like, because she comes from money, she can get these, like, crazy hats. and Sure. As soon as we get settled, we'll build you a dark room in the basement, okay? My whole life is a dark room. One big dark room. You don't just go down to a TJ Maxx and pick up a, <laughs> a lace veil like that, which you never see. She's eating with a veil on, yeah. and they never show how she's eating. Does she uh-huh. go, like... Under the veil? Probably under the veil. Probably under the veil, but we never get to see it. Are you a ghost too? I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Casting Michael Keaton was not Tim Burton's idea. Yeah, he wanted Sammy Davis Jr. <gasps> the Candyman. Which just a goes fact to show. That I learned that I told everyone that I've met ever since I read it, because I think it's so wild to think about. I think that also plays into just how much of a child of television. Tim Burton was, just going back to that. Though it also just shows how little of the finished product was on the page as far as what Beetlejuice should be. We know he's like this impish, puckish, dangerous, demonic ghost guy. Yeah. But how to get there was not on the page. Right. It was David Geffen who recommended Michael Keaton. Burton got on board saying uh, Keaton had great eyes, something behind the eyes. Yeah. And then together, Burton and Keaton, they kind of worked out what Beetlejuice would be. I saw an interview with Michael Keaton where he said that it took some convincing. So I guess once Tim Burton was on board wanting Michael Keaton, it took like two or three meetings before Michael Keaton would sign on for it. And then part of it was, I think after like the first or second meeting, he was like, all right, give me some time. Let me think about how I might do this. And then, because one of the things that Tim Burton had told Michael Keaton, and I'd be curious to see if this is in the script or not, is that uh-huh. this is a character who exists in all times. Yeah. Everywhere. And he's like, how do you nail that down? And so he said he was kind of, he, he like did a first take 
and he kind of looked around and no one was saying like, wow, you got to stop. That's terrible. He's like, so I just kept going with it. He also sort of took a little credit for the design of Beetlejuice because he says he told the makeup artist that he wanted like mold. Well, yeah, Burton had told him like, this guy kind of lives underground, like lives under a rock. And he's like, okay, well, going with that. Then Keaton came up with, yeah, yeah, he wants mold. And he said, I want my hair to look like it got stuck in a light socket. Hey, turn off the juice before I get electrocuted. Groucho Marx was supposed to be an influence. I believe one of the screenplay writers said that. And sure, I mean, Michael Keaton made it his own. Like, even just the dialogue, a lot of it just came from him. But the act of being just sort of like rat-tat-tat always changing, always trying to get the upper hand, if not always succeeding. That's a very Gracho thing. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes, though I say that 98% of the phenomena we're called on to investigate turn out to be fraudulent. But now and then we run into something that is interesting. You and me both, Doc. <laughs> In the making of all of the undead, except for Adam and Barbara, one of Tim Burton's contributions was that the undead character should be made up with pale colors like Necco wafers. That's a direct oh. quote. So I stopped by Rocket Fizz today. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah, I found the quote. He's Groucho Marx from Hell. That was from Larry Wilson, who said Groucho Marx is always the wittiest, most sardonic, absurdest person in the room. Always. So actually, the, all they had left was tropical flavors, but they all just taste like sweet chalk. Here, I'll take... No, 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 I'll take it. I'm not sure how much I'll be able to taste, given my weird well, cold. Well, just, just but... admire the palate. I got sort of like just this pale yellow. Mm. And you've got a green, mm. just sort of a pale green. No, this is not sweet chalk in the way that Valentine's hearts are sweet chalk. Yeah. I taste a tropical flavor here. Tropical flavor is coming through. Sweet tropical chalk. <laughs> my mom loves these. Oh, banana flavor. You're one of those people that doesn't like banana flavors. I love artificial banana flavor. Now I have to. I will eat all your banana runts if you get them. Just going on the color, I've got to at least eat one pink to get this banana out of my out of my mouth. Mm. Would not this sort of pale wan pink really match the undead? Absolutely. Because they're not gory. No. The first thing that came to my mind was the Miss Argentina character behind the desk. Who's all green. Who's all green. No real explanation. She's not yeah. an alien. And it's not like she died falling into a vat of chemicals. She slit her wrists. You can't draw a line from she died to why she's green after she's death, green. especially because the Maitlands drown. So presumably, Technically, they should be wet. They should always be wet, but they're not. Um, yeah. But that's the reason why they, quote unquote, I guess, look normal versus the guy who got flattened, you know? Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I never thought about that color palette, but it is kind of a muted, chalky tone that everyone kind of has. All right, folks, instead of jumping all around, I'm going to try to just keep us on a track and go through the movie. The first thing we hear is Deo woven into the Danny Elfman Beetlejuice theme. That's right. Setting the tone for the film, first it's, you know, like a, a shot going over the town, and then you're going over a model. But in between the two, I think they were still going over the town, but they just like 
got rid of all the traffic and stuck a truck in the middle, like halfway out in the street and put out two motionless people, which I think were mannequins. Anyways. That's very cool. No, it helps the trick the brain yeah. to not knowing and, and, when and then it, it, it goes switches. up on the Maitland house and then a giant spider is on it. Yeah. And that's just a visual like, this is the movie you're going to see. It's normal. No, it's not. Giant bug. Yep. Really sets you up. Really to sets kind the of tone. Be open to that sort of thing. To then meet Adam and Barbara Maitland. I'm so glad we're spending our vacation at home. I'm gonna get started right away. Hey, where are you going? Wow. <laughs> Who are so in love, albeit childless, because they make a point. Yeah. That uh, well, maybe let's try again on this staycation. Yeah. They never call it a staycation. I think that's a term that came later. It is. But but that's what they're doing. And yeah, we get the sense that maybe they wanted kids but it hasn't worked out yet yeah that helps later bind them to lydia in the meantime they've got a staycation not a lot of staycations in movies really just this and the burbs yeah but it does set the theme of two people not leaving the house yep because soon enough they won't be able to leave the house but they are so in love yeah that he can't run into town for like five minutes without her he's like come with me yeah because we can't be separated because we're so in love. Yeah. Uh, just a young, beautiful couple in love. And not only does that sell it, but also just their chemistry. They're Alec Baldwin. So wonderful together. And Gina Davis. Thin Alec Baldwin. Beautiful Gina Davis. She's always been beautiful. Attractive couple. <laughs> yeah. Cute couple. Look nice and stupid, too. <laughs> they are driving what was considered to be the safest car, like by like consumer reports. So, Which makes it all the more th that's tragic. The, and they get killed basically by small town iconography. Yeah. The scruffy dog and the covered bridge. And they swerve for the dog and they wind up in the water off the covered bridge. And then back at home, can't remember how they got home, and they're g g g ghosts. You know what? I don't think we survived the crash. The first bit of stop motion which was a choice by Burton. He wasn't given a big special effects budget, and he's like, no problem. Because for this movie, for the tone of this film, I'd say, the fantastical, but not believable, but you know, keeps you with the spirit of the movie, would be to do the supernatural special effects with stop-motion animation. I'm gonna go back down to the bridge and retrace our steps. He's like, I'm going to go retrace our steps. And he winds up what they call Saturn, which I don't think is supposed to be the planet Saturn. I have to assume that it is the planet. I always just assume it was. I always thought it was the neither world, but okay. So that replaced what was originally supposed to be the gap between the afterlife and our world was just a series of clock gears. Oh, that's what giant in the script? Yeah. supposed to be? Interesting. I think they even tried shooting oh. that. I saw some, like, lost footage. They filmed something of that. Yeah. There's footage of, like, Michael Keaton or Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Or some, yeah, with clock gears. That makes sense now. You're supposed to imagine that, like, the inner workings of the universe looks like the inner workings of a watch. Weird. So, but you just get zapped to this, like, barren planet with sandworms, <laughs> stop-motion sandworms, which look just like what showed up in the back of Vincent. It was one of those, it those looked striped like a worms. that might as well be in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Exactly. Another stop motion effort. And, uh, it feels like a choice rather than, uh, well, we'll do this because we can't do this. Yeah. It just feels like it's what it's supposed to be. But again, I can't be objective about this movie. I've seen it a thousand times. 
I, I believe it was a choice, and they really leaned into it. Sorry, folks. We simply could not afford to have special effects. Only a million dollars allotted for special effects, which for even the time wasn't a lot for special effects in like a supernatural comedy. He said he wants the effects to be cheesy, which they are, but once you're on board, you know, cheese is subjective. Yes. Agreed. Barb, honey, we're dead. I don't think we have very much to worry about anymore. So the Maitlands have pretty much begrudgingly accepted their fate. They're just hanging they, out in their old house. They realize they're dead. They realize they can't leave their house physically or they wind up being chased by sandworms. So they're hanging out, reading their handbook for the recently deceased, which is this book that just showed up. They're trying to understand it, but they can't really. Reads like stereo instructions. Reads like stereo instructions. Then the Dietzes show the up. The Dietzes show up. What do you think, honey? Delia hates it. could live here so these people show up at their home and they're like oh dear lord they're realizing we're dead so people are going to move into this house and, and they realize immediately these are people they do not want to share their space with and this is when the main concept starts which is ghosts being haunted by humans and i love uh <laughs> so charles deets jeffrey jones he gets there and like his leg is shaking. Like he's full of nervous energy because of the nervous breakdown. And he looks at his watch and he's like, 10 minutes already relaxed. Yeah. And he's completely not relaxed, but no. he's so focused on like efficiency and product and he's results. Like, okay, I came here to relax. So I'm uh, relaxing. And son, son of a gun, if I'm not the fastest relaxer around, <laughs> I win. I win at relaxing. It's all in, in the performance. It and is. his wife, Delia, Played by Catherine O'Hara, which, by the way, gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous Catherine O'Hara. And may I also say, I've caught a few episodes of Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. And she gets better with age. Like, she is so, I mean, obviously, hilarious. But she looks great. She's aging in such a beautiful way. Like, I just love her. But yes, she's so, so young and beautiful. And I looked um, at uh, 33. What? Yeah, I mean, she'd, she'd already so done SCTV. I am. You're the same age as Delia Dietz. Wow. Okay, here's something from Waiting for Guffman, which came out a few years later, where she's playing like a community theater actress, and it's a completely improvised film. She did this riff about a method of acting where you close your eyes when you're speaking directly <laughs> to a person, and then when you look she away, you open your eyes. She does that in Beetlejuice. She completely does that in Beetlejuice. You know, I want to try that less is more kind of acting. Where you just, when you're talking to someone, you close your eyes and then you look at them when you're not talking to the person. I mean, you open your eyes when you're looking away, but then when you talk to the person, you go like that. And you open your eyes and then you look back at the person, but you never open your eyes when you're talking to them. And specifically when she's speaking to Lydia. To Lydia, when she's getting ready for the dinner party. Then, but like more than just then. Like a few times. You're absolutely right. She does do that. She, oh no, my God. So she's talking about a thing that she actually has done while acting. But she's presenting it as this like terrible acting technique. Like why would why would somebody do that? It's yeah. it's crazy when once you're looking for it, it's its own drinking That's game. Great. I must express myself. If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe the house could use a little remodeling. But she's the real problem that the ghosts have because she's a New York modern artist and with Otho. 
Oh, boy. Uh, Glenn Shaddix? Shaddix. Which, by the way, I did not realize, and I should have, but for some reason I did not realize that he was the voice of the mayor of Halloween Town in for Christmas. Dad, please, I'm only an elected official here. I can't make decisions by myself. He has passed on. The actor. Yes. But what a wonderful... You know, the other thing I didn't pick up on, because they don't say it explicitly... But as a kid, I didn't understand that he was her like interior designer. Yes. Friend, I really like, like you didn't know what his, like his job was. Yes, and I didn't understand what was happening really when they were walking through and spray painting things on the walls. It was always such an odd thing. I really did not understand who Otho was or what he was doing there. I'm gonna say that in the Carolinas, you didn't come across many uh, interior decorators. No. no, no really high end interior decorators. No. No, that's a great point. But he just comes in through the window, which is such a funny entrance. And they're like, Otho, what are you doing? He's like, it's bad luck to walk in the front door. But that's genius because they're building already from the beginning. They're building his character as someone who's into the supernatural supernatural and just weird, floofy things. As much of like a gas bag as he is, he does actually have skill when it comes to the supernatural. Yeah. I know just as much about the supernatural as I do about interior design. Barbara's freaking out, Gina Davis. Because remember when, when we first meet her, her gift, her like staycation gift is wallpaper. That's what he gets She her, loves yeah. this home and she's worked on this home. And now this woman is coming in and just trashing it and changing everything with this crazy modern art sensibility. And then that's when Alec Baldwin says, there's a word for, for us. Ghosts. And it's like, oh yeah, we're not just dead. We're ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> We just have to pray the other closets are bigger than this one. And she tries pulling off her face. Yeah, he cuts his head off and he's holding his head. And, but they can't uh, see him, it's so it's delightful. all for naught. Yeah. They just walk right past them. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Okay. Tim Burton. Something he's really good at is taking normal suburban things and then using them in a way to make it look like you're in sort of like a gothic setting. Now, a lot of the times it's just the camera angles and, you know, the shadows will work in your favor and it looks more like a, like a German expressionist film or an old black and white horror film or something. But so on the nose and such a great example of that in Beetlejuice is the workmen are steaming off the wallpaper. Yes! And this is when Lydia ascends the stairs in her tragic black outfit and this steam rolls around the corner and yeah. kind of comes up behind her and creates this beautiful it's just steaming off wallpaper but it looks like she's stepping out of like a bank of gothic fog yeah when she ascends the steps i noticed that this time too it's yeah genius as we try to suss out what came from where i'm saying that one is a hundred percent that is a tim burton original <laughs> have a trouble with a living you're tired of having your homes buddy violated? You want to get rid of them pesky living critters once and for all? Well, come on down and see me, folks, because I'm the afterlife's leading violation. They're about to go into the neither world, and that's when Beetlejuice shows up on their television. Now, by the way, you keep calling it neither world. Well, in the cartoon. Because you've cartoon. been watching the cartoon, but I would call it the nether world. For now, nether. Later, neither. But no one refers to it as anything. Well, you say... Neither. I say neither. In the film, potato, potato. Yeah. Let's call the calling off off. <laughs> bring a little parts down here. Hell, we got plenty of snakes and lizards for them to play with. There's no problem with that at all. Crazy used car salesman. 
doing their own local commercials was a big thing in the 70s and 80s and was also a big thing to parody, you know, because it was so over the top. A notable real-life guy was California's Cal Worthington. Here's Cal Worthington at his dog spot. And he would use his dog spot, which was like a lion, and he would use all these animals. Um, he's like, I'll stand on my head. And like, he's standing on his head, and he'd have like a cowboy hat. I think a lot of these guys would wear cowboy hats, even if they weren't in the South. The idea is, I'll do anything to get you to buy my yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Acres and acres of cars. Just pick and choose and take your time. We've got the car you want. I'll stand on my head to sell you a car. And that cut from similar cloth for the time and equally able to be parodied was like the televangelist. Oh, boy. Uh -huh. So what we get on TV is like Beetlejuice sort of stating his product, but doing both like the used car salesman. And the like tent revival preacher. And that's what that was all about. That makes sense. I hadn't thought about it, but that makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, and he's like, "Come on down, I'll, I'll do anything that you I'll want me to do. I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow." Oh, oh, I'll chew like, on a dog. Why is it chew on a dog? Uh, also, think for a moment about Michael Keaton performing that scene, just that scene. And he didn't have have set. anyone to play off of, so he could do whatever yes. he wanted, and no one would would have to like lose a line. It's so high energy a performance. It's so bonkers. It's so over the top. It could have gone horribly. You know what I mean? This movie, oh, yeah. like, with just the different choices, acting-wise, performance-wise, character-wise, could have just been a thing where it was like, oh, a God, lot of chances to go wrong. movie that Michael Keaton made. Yes, but it works somehow. But, like, imagine it without the music. And how is, is kind of why we're here. Yeah. But I don't think we're really any closer to it. No. But the best we're managing is to just sort of take a step back from it and just, like, realize that... This was not normal. Yep. Because <laughs> it's turned itself into a, a thing. Beetlejuice is a thing now. It's, it's yep. something you reference. It's and iconic. It's something you can compare other things to. I think it's like Beetlejuice. We said his name too many times. So they see this television commercial with Beetlejuice, but they're interrupted by... Lydia's making Lydia. her way upstairs with a skeleton key. Yeah. And so they draw a door yeah. based on how the handbook tells them. Well, they decide, like, maybe we shouldn't listen to him. They can't even figure it out. Right. They're like, they're, there's they, no way to contact Because them. the way his name is spelled is Beetlegeist. He's like, like say it once, star. say it twice, say it three times. And they're like, Beetlegeist? Like, they, they're not saying it correctly. And they're like, eh. And he sees the in the instructions, draw a door. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, I have to point out that Larry, what's the guy's last name, the writer? Wilson. Larry Wilson's Twitter handle is at draw a door. Awesome. Yeah. I love it when they own it. He doesn't tweet that often, but um, I thought that was really fun. You don't have an appointment, do you? Well, we didn't know how to make one. Appointment for what? What do you want? We need some help. Ha! Already? We just bit the big one two months ago, and you want help. Okay, so now the afterlife looks like like a surreal DMV. Also, there's a joke later in the film about how... If you commit suicide... You come back as a civil servant. Yeah. Now, that's true for Miss Argentina. Yeah. Who, by the way, was Carmen from Three Amigos. Wow. Yeah, just wow. picture her green. We keep calling but her I, Miss Argentina, but she's behind the front desk she, she's in the She's credited room. as receptionist. I just say that because she, she has, has a, a sash on yeah. that says Miss Argentina. And everyone in the waiting room is sort of like, like there's a guy in a sleeping bag with a rattlesnake, and then there's like a guy with a shark on his leg, and there's a guy with like a chicken bone stuck in his throat, and then there's a guy who's completely burned up, and he was supposed to have like died while smoking in bed. Yeah. 
You want a cigarette? Oh, no, thank you. I'm trying to cut down myself. You were on a track of thought where you were saying it's true for Miss Argentina. She committed suicide. Yeah. And I, she's working as a... I wonder Juno. if, like, that's Beetlejuice's background, because supposedly he worked for Juno. Is that what Juno did? Right. Is, is the guy who was flattened by a truck... Did well, because he... Juno's neck is cut, so did she slice her own throat? Yeah. Would... Did that guy who's flat throw himself in front of a car? I'll just say this. Otho's not always right. Right. And I'll just for leave sure. it at that. For sure. But I love that that's a joke they make but like in reality whatever reality is when adam and barbara go to sort of seek help from the people who know in the beyond it is very much it replicates kind of like a like a dmv or yeah, something it's horrible like that they're sitting in a horrible, waiting room the afterlife is a messy bureaucracy yeah with papers everywhere and like people hanging from nooses so that guy yeah, yeah. i guess so it just sort of like being kind of like shuttled through the room, dropping off papers on a desk. And they don't really know what they're there for. They just know they need assistance and they're told that they have a caseworker. Are you Juno, our caseworker? Yes, I evaluate individual cases and determine if help is needed, deserved, and available. Are you available? No. Sylvia Sidney plays Juno, their caseworker. I was reading about her a little bit and saw some photos of her from her earlier days in Hollywood, and she was very striking. Um, But she, in her later years, became known for her kind of, like, deep, raspy voice, which came from her constant smoking, and she, in fact, died of, like, esophageal cancer or something. I mean, she was, like, 82 or something. But I think she's so funny and good, and they ask her... uh, What about this beetle guy? Shh, shh, shh. Don't even say his name. And then you get a little backstory, but not really. You just know that he's no good. Right. He was my assistant, but he was a troublemaker. He went out on his own as a freelance bio-exorcist. Claimed he could get rid of the living. Got into more trouble. In fact, I believe he's been sleezing around your cemetery lately. Juno was like, you're gonna have to take care of it yourself because you don't want to contact this beetle guy yeah figure it out on your own and they're like well thanks but no thanks thanks for they're you know they feel like they haven't been helped at all yeah and and now it's been three months that they were in the afterworld and their house has been completely redone by delia and it just looks like a modern art nightmare their home is designed delia style and they don't like it at all everything's different all our furniture's gone Okay, so, what do you do when you're a ghost? Sheets. They take designer sheets and cut holes in them and wear them around the house. And they make really beautiful... I feel so stupid. It's not stupid, Barbara. We're ghosts. Do you want to spend the next 125 years having breakfast with this woman? Moan louder. As they're trying to scare Delia. Delia. She doesn't wait. Took a Valium. Yeah. There's nothing there. Nothing. The dad just thinks it's Lydia messing around. Yeah. And then Lydia thinks it's like a sex game that her parents are doing. Yeah. She just hears the wooing in the other room. She's she's like, like, hey, perverts, knock it off. And then when she uh, she takes her pictures, sees that it has no feet. Why are you wearing sheets? We're practicing. You can see us without the sheets. Of course I can see you. Well, how is it that you see us and nobody else can? Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. 
I myself am strange and unusual. Larry Wilson? Yep. Says that he kind of had a feeling there was something special going on with the movie once it came out. Second time he went to see it, there were a lot of girls who had like put on every piece of black clothing that they owned and sort of like become a like Lydia Dietz character just to go see the movie. Like he realized they'd really struck gold with that character particularly. It was something that struck a chord with like kind of gothy, kind of like dark girls who wanted to think of themselves as yeah. strange and unusual everywhere. Dark girls, I'll just say, existed before Tim Burton. Of course, yeah. But now they have a rallying point. In... Yeah, it gives you a character where you're like, hey, I relate to being the black sheep of my family in the sense that, yeah. like, I, you know, literally and figuratively, I like to wear black. I like dark things. She's very broody. Yeah, now but charming this still. is the scene where she corrects, like, your mother, and she goes, stepmother. And we've heard her referred to as her mother yeah, by, for a long time, he's like, don't, multiple times. Don't sass your mother. Yeah. And it's never said... But I think it's possible her, her mom died. Sure. And that can go a long way towards explaining her fascination with death that she yeah. already had before showing up in this house. Yep. That's what I always thought. Yeah. Makes sense. It's him. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Basically out of options, the Maitlands decide to say Beetlejuice three times. Beetlejuice! They get sucked in the model. And now is when we really, really meet Beetlejuice. What a fever dream this scene is of just dialogue and like it is such a fast paced, really just incredible scene where he comes out and introduces himself and tries to give him the lay of the land. He's like, here's the deal. You want the people out of your house? I want to get the people out of your house. You know what's really beautiful about this? You two kids picked me. You didn't have to, but you picked me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come no. on. Give me one. Come and on. they are just horrified and disgusted by him. Yeah, he is gross. Yeah, he's stinky. He's grabbing Gina Davis, sexually leering at her. He kisses her, you know... He has snakes come out of his head and he spins his head all around and they're just like, ugh. Well, they do ask him if he can be scary. Yeah, that's true. And so, like, whatever that was, we see it from behind, but just all these, like, tentacle things come out of him. So great. What do you think of this? <laughs> you like it? Okay, here's the part where I want to ask you something that occurred to me a few years ago. What's Beetlejuice's goal? Yeah, I don't know. There's no money involved. Now, in the cartoon... He's kind of described as like a con man, and he's always doing like these get rich quick uh-huh. schemes. Yeah, and in one episode I watched of the cartoon, his parents are like, You should get a job. And he's like, I'm between jobs. Yeah, he's always like conning for whatever the currency of the realm is in the neither world. Sure. But in Beetlejuice, the movie, they don't have money. I think he just likes wreaking havoc. Okay, there's that. Or somehow by working with them, they can summon him all the way out. Uh, uh-huh. Like he's trapped uh-huh. somehow. He kind of refers to that later. Yeah. He can only make it as far as the graveyard in their model. Like he can't make it out Where of the graveyard. Where was he before that? Just underground. Underground, I guess. But like, so what does that even mean? They, they sort of half say his name a few times. Uh-huh. And then he can come out of the model. But that's as far as he can go. Right. And I wonder if coming out entirely means entering the real world or just being able to enter the world of ghosts where he can go to, I don't know, anywhere? He seems to be somewhat trapped. Yeah. But he's getting out by degrees. 
And apparently marrying someone... Gets him all the way to where yeah. he wants to be. Right. And or is he actually on the level? Does he really want to just hang out with them? He's like, I'm going to have to really get to know you guys. And he's like, stay for dinner. I've got Italian. Oh, come on. Don't go yet. Hey, guy, come on. We're simpatico here. Look at us. Huh? We even shop in the same store. Hey, hermano. He's probably starved for interaction. If right. he's been just sitting underground reading the obituaries. And you got to say... I mean, it's a foregone conclusion because we're adults now and we know that it happened and we saw it happen and it happened to us, which is we developed this connection with Beetlejuice. How did we develop a connection with such a gross walking id? Maybe part of how that bridge got built was that on a lot of levels, just like in his behavior and with just what he would say is he just wants someone to hang out with. Yeah. Right? Totally. Yeah. And he's funny. Yeah, he's also funny. He's very funny. And he can do whatever he wants. Okay, I can see how elf kids would be yeah. attracted to someone who just like spits and messes with bugs and, yeah. and yeah, it has gross. superpowers. Kids love gross. <laughs> it's just such an odd fit. Yeah. I'm really trying to get to the bottom of it and I yeah. thought maybe this would be like one way. Yeah. That he, he wants he wants a pal. A spider brooch? Oh, I could kiss you. <sighs> but I'll just give you a big hug. How about a spin of the old head to celebrate? Ooh, one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, I don't get the wax in your ears. <laughs> You're one of a kind, Beetlejuice. Don't ever change. All right, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Those are pictures of ghosts. Are they? Ghosts. Lady, I am giving a dinner party tonight for seven people. My agent, Bernard, is bringing a woman who writes for art in America. In fact, no one dining here this evening has not been in Vanity Fair, except you. I told him you were too mean to be afraid. What's the purpose of the initial dinner party? Just trying to maintain a social life? Yeah, yeah. just trying to get some old friends to come out. Now, Lydia, favor us about your ghosts. No, I am sick of that subject. Oh, Delia, lighten up. I would rather talk about. But um, yeah, this is where we get Deo. Starting with Delia, and then kind of one at a time. At first, they're like, oh, you're being funny. And then it's all in the acting, which is they can't help but move. Yes, their bodies are getting groovy with it, but their faces are like, what? What's happening? happening? And the best, I think, is Otho when he grabs the bucket and starts playing it like a drum. His face is like, what's happening? Yeah. What's going on here? As things are getting going, Lydia backs into a corner. I never really saw what happened to her. She just kind of always went away. But if you're watching it widescreen, Lydia's off in the corner and just thinking it's a giant hoot. Over the years, I guess at first I thought that like they were just possessing a couple of them and everyone else was dancing along because like, you know, if you go to a dinner party and your hosts start dancing, then you'll dance too. But now yeah, it's way too choreographed for people just to have joined in. Yeah, I guess it, for me it was a numbers game. I was like, well, how do two ghosts possess like six people? Who knows? We never see the Maitlands do any of this. No. In another movie, in another time, we might have seen like a spectral version of them jump into a body or something. Uh, sure. But instead, none of that. This isn't the Frighteners or whatever. Yeah. 
but yeah, she says, I have an idea. And then you see what her idea was, which is taking over their bodies and making them all do a song and dance. And they think that will scare them. Of course, the end of the dance is very scary, where the shrimp cocktails become like Monster shrimp arms. hands. It's very creepy. Yeah. Scared me a lot as a kid. Oh boy, you guys are really a couple of spooksters, aren't you? <laughs> now, let's turn on the juice and see what shakes loose. Is this the time he turns up the juice to see what shakes loose? He's got a lot of great lines. Yes. Showtime is later. Yes. He Yes, he turns up the juice to see what shakes loose. This is where he yeah, does that. Where he yes. turns into a, a giant snake. Yes, and things get dark. We come for your daughter, Chuck. <laughs> yes, we can wreak some havoc, and Lydia is horrified, and she thinks that it's Adam and Barbara, so she's pretty upset by it. I wonder where a guy, an everyday Joe like myself, could find a little action. Bye! Yeah. I do want to mention the devil brothel. Yeah. As I was trying to research and find out who contributed what, apparently the look of the devil brothel came from 3D stereoscopes from 1850s France. I read that too. Which the original writer, Michael McDowell, was really into and like owned some of or had a book about them. And in 1850s France, what they would do is pose artist models in all of these like devils having fun positions right. and then photograph them as a stereoscope so like if you put the viewer up to your eyes you could see these fun sexy devil yeah. scenarios in 3d and it was a fad for like 40 years yeah and apparently a lot of what we see of the devil brothel that just shows up to distract beetlejuice was inspired from that and was brought to the table by the original writer so if i know a lot got changed makes it feel timeless Yes. And I love the detail that Juno put that up there to distract Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I am alone. Feeling very put out, Lydia writes a suicide note. But she revises it a couple of times for maximum drama. Uh-huh. I am utterly but something that I pulled out of it though was she's like by the time you read this I will be I will have plummeted off of the Winter River Bridge or something which is the bridge that the Maitlands died on and I don't think that's a coincidence she specifically wants to die so she can go and join the Maitlands forever in the afterlife a set of parents she'd rather have than her own so her big plan is to go die the way they died and there's a certain logic to it but the Maitlands show back up Ready to scare, but at the last minute deciding, like, maybe we can live with this. Yeah, it's more Barbara saying, like, I want to be with Lydia. And Lydia wants to be with them. So everything's pretty good until the Dietzes convince Otho to hold a seance to force the ghosts to appear. And Otho, having stolen the handbook for the recently deceased from the attic, he says, I need something personal. They... They hung under the wedding clothes. Yeah. And they lay them out on the table that they're all sitting around and his conjuring works. And it's some of the saddest 
most upsetting stuff in the movie when it backfires. Yeah, they conjure like them, they, they solidify, and then yeah, they're aging and decomposing. And she like reaches out to Lydia, and Lydia reaches up to her. Yeah. Oh, help them, please. Sure, I can help them. You gotta help me. What? Look, I want you my colonial alien, okay? I want out for good. In order for me to do that, hey, I gotta get married. Hey, these aren't my rules. Come to think of it, I don't have any rules. <laughs> so to, to stop this from happening, she goes and finds Beetlejuice, and that... Lydia does, yes. Lydia goes to the model, because she'd met him once before when he tries to trick her into saying his name three times. There's this weirdly honest moment the first time they met, when he's like, I want to get out of here. She's like, I want to get in there. And he just goes, why? <sighs> and then he gets back on track real yeah. fast, but for a second it's like, Why? Like the con man in him like drops for a second. Yeah, that is a really it's a small but great moment. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Then we get to see what Beetlejuice can do. And he's for all his talk, he's a really powerful ghost. Yes. And he can just like undo the exorcism with a Johnny Carson golf swing. What do we got here tonight, kids? Ooh, uh, well, we got the, uh, the Maitlands. Uh, I think uh, they've had enough exercise for a night. And then he wants to marry Lydia. So Tim Burton's got a lot of mileage out of holidays. Mm. Because it's when the normal becomes surreal. Be it Christmas decorations or Halloween decorations. In line with that, when the everyday becomes kind of surreal is a wedding. Mm. They double down in that the Maitlands and Beetlejuice and Lydia are all in wedding clothes. Yeah. But it's not abnormal. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, aren't weddings weird? Oh, like, yeah. like, I never really if think about really that. If you really think about it, we and I am for kind of the first clothing, time. Special clothes and all stand together and say things. Just how visually yeah. odd. Yes. I never a, thought about a it. A wedding is, but it's, it's as normal as Christmas and Halloween. Right. And that you take all these otherwise normal people and... Put them in costumes. And put them in costumes. And we all stand around, but no one thinks it's weird. Especially a bridal dress is this hugely exaggerated costume that completely exists in, in the real world. Yep. And uh, isn't questioned, but, you know, have a climax of a movie with, like, two of the characters in wedding dresses. Yeah. One it, of which is blood red. Yeah. And it just looks fantastic. Yeah. But it's not that weird. Yeah. But that's it is. a great point. But it's not. But it, it is. It is, but it's not. Yeah. Anyways, I was like, I wonder if Tim Burton's ever going to revisit uh, weddings. Oh, yeah. The Corpse Bride. Indeed. Yeah. So uh, the answer was yes. May we continue with the ceremony? <laughs> then why? Beetlejuice! Then it just becomes a showdown of can someone say Beetlejuice three times. Yeah, which uh, is very fun. But it always drove me crazy how like they could each only get out one Beetlejuice like, at a time. Beetle. Yeah. The authority vested in me. The ring. The ring. Uh, they get pretty close, and then <laughs> just Barbara shows up riding a sandworm. Yeah. Well, he banishes her basically to Saturn, Where and she... then somehow she, you know, time it, does work differently there. It does. 
It does. But I also justified this in my mind, this viewing, by, like, when she and Adam are on Saturn earlier, she, she like, punches, punches it. it, right? And it's so like, Rrr. We've established that she was scrappy enough to hit one of them. She's already tamed it. Yes. So maybe so she can show up. Exactly. So she somehow gets it to let her ride it <laughs> to, like, eat Beetlejuice and she saves the day. It, you know, who it cares? It all works. It works just fine. And I was like, the, the final uh, moment where... Lydia takes her wedding bouquet and then just drops it in the hole. Yep. As if just like, so long, Beetlejuice. Yeah. And then now it's it's like, I don't know, six months later, it never really says. But um, we see Lydia... At school. At school... We don't know how she dresses anymore in her own time because she's wearing a school uniform. But I would say she's, you know, her hair and general demeanor belie a sort of sense that she would... She's not as dour as Uh, she was before. No, I was just going to say she's still got her own flair to it. She's more dour than the other schoolgirls, but maybe that's just my mind. She is more dour than the other schoolgirls. Yeah. But she's, I'm going to say in her own time, less than she was. Yeah. She's certainly down for a good time, which we learn yeah. when she returns so, from school to the house and Adam and Barbara. The house is kind of set back to right. You can see you can see one of the walls is like half Delia's stuff and half the old wallpaper has returned. I wonder how and why Delia agreed to that. That really intrigues me. Um yeah, I don't know. Um her her own art attacked her at one point. Yeah. So I think she'd kind of had enough, but now she's going a different direction because she's like sculpting the Beetlejuice snake. Yeah. That's where she's at now. So Lydia comes home from school. Adam and Barbara are very curious about how she's doing. How'd you do on that math test? And she says she got an A. And she says, so can I? Well, I suppose. Yeah, so apparently this is like a thing they do. Yeah. Where if she gets good grades, they will use their ghost powers and levitate her. And make her sing a fun song. I always think she, well, she does that on her own. I guess. I don't think she's being possessed by them. Because so it's showing her but being... But they create the music, obviously, and give sure, her backup dancers. But, but unlike the Deo scene, she's just floating. Yeah. And enjoying herself. Sure. And that's her art. I think we're putting too fine a point on this. Mm, I say, I say not because... Her participation in it shows that her character is now a lover of life. Oh, sure. And good times. All right. Which is a far cry from where we found her. Right. Yeah, so it's the strangest scene, but I gotta say, re-watching it, I got, like, a little misty on it. Because it just was... I was like, this movie is so great and so charming, and maybe it's just that I have sentimental feelings attached to it, because I used to watch it a lot as a kid, but... It's just great. That's such a fun ending. That like, it they're is, all living together in harmony. That's just like the best they could come up with is what they say. Which I agree. That is the best they could come up with. Because there was versions where like Lydia died in like a fire or something. And then joined them as a ghost. Right. And they were like, well, this is the ending that test audiences like. It's like, yeah, because it's a great ending. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's an ending where both the living and the dead characters 
have reached a place where they they maybe it's a little bit different from what they thought it was going to be, but they've reached a place where they're um, adjusting just yeah. fine to a new situation. And I don't know if it was a reshoot or not. Maybe someone was like, we need a little more Beetlejuice, because after all, the movie is called Beetlejuice, right. which I got whole thoughts on. I think that like just using the words Beetle and Juice and using his name is just a just lets you know what kind of movie you're in for and is is less like this is a movie about the character Beetlejuice more this is a movie where things get weird yep is really the use of that so we get a little PS with Beetlejuice who's in the the waiting room of the deceased and uh, runs afoul a tribesman who then shrinks his head because it's It's like so funny he's not gonna die he's dead right he's a ghost but I'll tell you what sucks is living the rest of your eternal afterlife with a teeny tiny head because you pissed somebody off. Ever the optimist, he goes, hey, this could be a good look for me. <laughs> and that's that's where we leave him. That's where we leave Beetlejuice. Calypso, left to right is the tempo, and when she gets the sensation, she go up in the air, come down in slow motion, jump in the line, body in the So Cat Beetlejuice. <sighs> A real favorite, if and, I haven't said it enough times. And there was no debate. We were like, let's cover Beetlejuice. And it was only greeted with enthusiasm. Yeah. Because it is horror. But, no it's not. But yes it is. And... A lot of what we do here is, is sort of um, dissect stuff we saw when we were kids and be like, why did it scare us and why are we so drawn to it? And usually it's it's pretty clear. You know, something's scary and we're drawn to what's scary and we've got 70 other episodes about that. But this was so odd that we just sort of took in whole cloth. Just like, yeah, there's a model and he lives when and he just uh, ate a fly. Yeah. But yeah, these are all, this is all happening. <laughs> that's how he talks and that's how ghosts work. Right. I'm down. Yeah, and, you, and that's a good point that it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much odd information coming at you at once. You just take it in. Like, you have no choice. You either accept it all or none of it. It's either not really for you or you're just like, yeah, sure. All this, all this weird stuff exists together and that's fine. And it was a hit. It was. And pretty, mu- pretty much immediately. It came out in the beginning of the year and then at the end of the next year. So almost two years later. The animated series came out. Wow. That seems pretty quick to me. Yeah, that is quick. And uh, Burton was a producer. And so he got to, like, expand on this world. And now we're just focusing on Lydia and Beetlejuice. It's like Lydia's the quirky girl with a secret best friend. Almost treated like an imaginary friend, but he can come into the real world, too, and uh, wreak a little havoc. Yeah. There was toys put out. Those toys are actually of the movie. Even though they, like, expanded the world a bit. Did you send me the video of the Beetlejuice Burger King Kids Club toys? Because I think I had some of those. Now, those are... Watching that video, I was like, I'm pretty sure I had some of those. Those are the only toys to come out for the animated series. Oh, okay, yeah. But yes, they were. And because they would come in food, they had to be just basically one block. Yeah. Whereas the toy toys that you would buy in a store, like, one was his vanishing vault, where you could put a Beetlejuice character in and then... Shut it. It's basically like a little magic trick. Uh-huh. And then open it and there'd be nothing there. Cool. Or there'd be a little tiny Beetlejuice. 
And that's the exact thing you can't put with food, like a little yeah. tiny Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah, of course. So they had these things where, like, on one side, it would be one Beetlejuice character, and then you could turn it around, and it would be another one, like, standing on their head. Like, they were really well made. Yeah. And all one solid piece, because they would be given out in food. Beetlejuice also went on to perform at Universal Studios, of which you sent me a thing about its many iterations. There's no more Beetlejuice shows. Right. But he does still walk the park. I don't know if I ever told you this, um, but I actually saw Beetlejuice's Rock and Roll Graveyard Review. I never did. And now I know when I saw it, because I knew I'd seen it, but I couldn't... I was like, what year was that? Which iteration did you see? Like, who did he have on stage with him? Well, I don't really super remember. If I go back and watch that video, I could tell you exactly, but... Usually um, it was like him and the Universal Monsters. I just know from watching the Defunct Land video about the attraction that... I saw it in 1999 because the years that they identified, they said that it happened there like from a certain year through 99 and 99 was the last year that it ran in Hollywood and that's the year I saw it. But I don't remember anything about the show other than I saw it. But if you're listening and you're curious, there is a defunct land YouTube video about the history of that live stage show and it's really fun to watch. And the show looks pretty fun. I I wish I'd seen it. Yeah. I definitely saw it. I can't remember anything about it. They say in, in that, that documentary that you sent to me that when one of the iterations was closing, because they had a few iterations, they brought back the Deo. Like, they used to do the Deo song, and then it got dropped from the show. But then, as a final, like, farewell to the stage for that production of Beetlejuice Rocks, or whatever it was being called at that time, they all did Deo. Yeah. Which, also, Glenn Shaddix. Yeah, uh-huh. Otho. Yeah. When he left this mortal coil... At his funeral, like they played music at his funeral, and the final <sighs> song they played was Deo. Oh my goodness. Right? That makes me feel very emotional. And just while I was just sort of going through the history of Beetlejuice, trying to like cherry pick like very kind of human moments and nice things, um, there was an episode of the animated series where a fan sent in like a suggestion, like, why don't you do this as an episode? And they did it. It was like a teenage girl. It was the episode Brides of Funkenstein, hmm. which started out as fan fiction letter that a teenager named uh, Sharon Chamberlain had sent to, like, I don't know, Dear Beetlejuice, Hollywood, California. Stuck in the mail. And they made it. Cool. So if you're uh, ever going to watch one episode, I say watch the pilot episode. That kind of connects a little bit. Like, really, really sets it up. It starts with them singing Deo, which is sort of connected to the movie. And they imply that they met a year ago. But if you watch two episodes, I say watch uh, Brides of Funkenstein as uh, as Beetlejuice. Uh, not the, the character, but the, I don't know, the creative entity connects with its legion of fans in, in kind of a great way. And, uh, and two more fans sitting right here on this mic. Cat, who has braved an allergy attack. I don't know if uh, I'll be able to edit out all the sniffles. Yes, I am very brave. If you heard sniffles... I'm sorry. And you know what made me feel better tonight? Was that? Talking about Beetlejuice with you. And with you, good people. Good listeners at home. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for getting all the way through this. And um, before we sign off, we got a letter. Do you know about this? Ooh. Um. From Pink Paradox. Ooh, Lisa? I don't know. Lisa in Norway. Wow. Sent us something. Now, because of... um requirements for international mail it actually says what's inside on the outside oh so i already know what's going to be in it alert. i don't but 
And by the way, this is just someone who uh, listens to our podcast all the way in Norway. She's also very cool. And has contacted us with a social media and wanted to mail us something. This time last year, she sent us Norwegian candy for Halloween. Oh, yes, I recall. All right, we got a whole letter here. Oh, it's a card. It's a, quite beautiful. A whole message. We'll, we'll get into that. And then along with that, holy smokes. She says they're pre-Halloween presents. She has a real Etsy problem lately. And lately she's been all about cloth patches. She, I think I'm subconsciously curating them for a horror-themed denim vest. I feel you. That was my comment. I feel you, girl. She saw these. Couldn't help but think about Boys and Ghouls. They're from Screen 13. I guess that's the brand. In, uh, in so England. So this went them. conceivably from England to Norway to Los Angeles. I must say, her penmanship is uh, really satisfying. I like her handwriting. That's... That's nice, right? Yeah, that's well, what that's what you hope for. Let me see these patches. Oh my god! This is going directly. Wow! It says "Beware the moon," and there's a big werewolf hand, and uh, and a moon, is, and a moon, like the circles of moon. Yeah, the circles of moon. Uh, this ha- is going to go on my. This is going to my, my denim jacket. This is going to my hooded sweatshirt. This is so cool. Wow! This is really going to make my Halloween bright. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you very Lisa. much, Lisa. Also known as Pink shit. Paradox. Yeah, look look at her uh, Twitter handle. Yeah, find her on Twitter at Pink Paradox. She's the best. Wow, this is awesome. And thank you, good people, for listening and for uh, sticking with us. And you can find uh, Ms. Paradox and ourselves on Twitter, on Instagram, on Pinterest. Yeah, just on search Tumblr. for Boys and Ghouls. We're out there, people, we're on everywhere. Facebook. Come out and say hi. That's where you'll find us in between episodes, where we're managing a once a month. Uh, we're not really putting them out on the 13th, but uh, we're getting out to you as much as we can. And thank you uh, so, so much for joining us. And uh, Kat, you want to read that patch one more time? Oh, what does this patch say? Let me get my glasses. Beware the moon. Beware the moon.